the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. My name is Kate Sutter, and I am your host for today. I'm a member of the communications team at Cincinnati Children's, and our whole team is so excited to bring this podcast to you each week. We're going to be talking about child health, all things child health. We're going to feature expert guests as well as parents and even kids from time to time as guests in our studio as we talk about things that are impacting their lives and their health. Today, we're going to start episode one with a discussion about COVID, because nothing has impacted child health in the past year the way the COVID-19 pandemic has. I do want to take just a second to pause before we jump into introductions for today's guests and let you all know that we are recording this all in the same room, which is fantastic because we can look each other in the eyes and it's just really nice to see people. We are still wearing masks though, and at Cincinnati Children's, we're gonna continue to wear masks for some time because this pandemic is not over yet and we're doing what we need to do to keep each other safe. We have three people today who have joined us for this conversation about the pandemic, and I'd like to introduce Dr. Josh Schaffson, Dr. Monica Mitchell, and Dr. Mary Carol Burkhart. And I will give them each um, the opportunity to introduce themselves, and then we're going to dive right in talking about COVID. So, Dr. Schaffson, will you start us off? Yeah, hi. Thanks very much, Kate, for having us. Um, I'm Josh Schaffson. I'm a pediatric ID doc, and I direct infection control and Uh, at Cincinnati Children's. Thank you. I'm Monica Mitchell, and I am a child psychologist here. I also coordinate our community programs here. And I'm Mary Carol Burkhart. I am a general primary care pediatrician, and I work at the Hubble Street Health Center and oversee our academic primary care locations. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for being here. Um, So I think we should just dive right in and So we're in this interesting place in the pandemic where it feels like things are starting to feel a bit better. Are you feeling that too? Dr. Schaffson, I'll go to you first. Yeah, for sure, right? So I think that the community levels have decreased. I think that, um, you know, people have been measured in what they're trying to do. A lot of people have grown accustomed to precautions and have figured out where they can tolerate risk and where not. one thing that I've been really impressed by is uh, how kids have adopted masks really very easily. I think my three or four year old uh, patients are probably the best mm-hmm. at masking and, and like the most comfortable with it. I think that one thing that hasn't changed is we're always looking over our shoulder. So there's been a lot of uncertainty and there continues to be uncertainty. We have vaccine, which is fantastic. We're trying to get it out to as many people as possible but we look at places like India, we look at experiences in other countries, and, you know, we have to just keep a close eye because things could change pretty quickly. Dr. Burkhart, what are you hearing in practice from families and the kiddos that you're seeing every day? 
I think the kids are starting to really have a little bit more hope. They initially lost so much at the beginning of the pandemic last spring with cancellations of prom and graduation and cancellations of sports seasons. I think you're starting to see a lot more hope that um, especially as vaccine has become available for adolescents, it's the first time in the pandemic where I feel like, uh, like you said, there's been a little bit of hope and excitement that that maybe we're you know getting um, a little bit over the hope and things can start returning more to the new norm that we're going to be moving into. Um, so that I think has been really exciting for uh, for adolescents. And they're, they're talking about, I'm going to be able to have a graduation this year. We're doing it different, but we're going to be able to do it, which I love to hear that. Dr. Mitchell, how are things looking out in the community, the people that you're, you're talking to and meeting? And what's that feeling like in, um, you know, just kind of the people that you're, you're talking to? Yeah, so for all of the reasons that have been mentioned, you know, activities are returning to normal. We're starting to see kids go back to school. We're starting to see kids return to sports. So what that means is that um, people are feeling better. Um, you know, at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of anxiety. You know, people didn't know, hey, when are we going to be going back to school? When can we see our friends? When can families get back together? And naturally, um, you know, that, that makes people extremely anxious. Uh, it makes people, you know, some people very depressed. So that, that were some, those were some of the mental health impacts that we saw, not only for kids, but also for adults. Mm -hmm. Now that we can get back to, um, you know, what Dr. Burkhart calls the new normal, um, we can <laughs> feel that hope and that, that now uh, makes us uh, feel, feel uh, more positive and now we're seeing those positive mental health impacts. Yeah, and I'll just add, I think um, what Dr. Burkhardt said was, was exactly right. We figured out how to do the things that we want to do or need to do safely. And mm -hmm. we're confident in that um, so that we don't miss these life cycle events that are meaningful. I think those life cycle events have really been one of the things that when you know, in the middle of March last year, it was like, okay, we need to take some really extreme precautions right now. And as that became reality, that it was like, oh my gosh, we can't do these things. Um, I mean, what do we know about how that has impacted kids and families to this point? I'm gonna go to Dr. Mitchell on this one. Yeah. So. I, th I think, you know, two things. One is that not only did it have an impact, but the impact was so sudden. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we didn't psychologically have any, any time to prepare for those things. So, you know, kids had expectations of, oh, in three months, I'm going to be graduating. In three months, in two months, I'm going to have a prom. Um, so I think the, um, you know, the fact that we didn't have time to prepare for it and also uncertainty uh, uncertainty breeds anxiety, and the combination of those things uh, made it very difficult um, for, you know, like I said, not only for children but for families to to um, to deal with those kinds of things. And over time, you know, some of those things became easier as as we began to establish routines, and also as we began to know more about the science of COVID and how we could um, how we could um, keep ourselves safe. Are we seeing any kids now that are having a hard time with getting back to some of these things? 
I think there definitely are. I think there are some kids that we have been seeing that um, actually have a lot of anxiety about germs and a, a little bit of a phobia related to that because we've been so careful of wear your mask and wash your hands and wipe down your desks. And, and so it does make them uncomfortable. Um, I know my own children are, are always saying, you know, do I need a mask on for this? Do I need a mask on for this? And, and they're checking, which is good. They know to, they've been conditioned now um, to know and ask those things. But I do think there's some anxiety that, that a small portion of um, kids have around that. And then I also am seeing, um, again, just transition. So this school year in particular has been such a challenge for kids. Um, routine is good for kids in so many ways. And so it's been virtual school and then blended school and then in-person school and um, that transitions like so many times. This school year has been difficult and I think we just need to acknowledge it and own it and say, you know what, it's okay. You have dealt with it, it's gonna pass. Um, and I, but I do think those effects are, um, are, are still being seen. Is there anything in particular along those lines that parents can and should be doing to help their kids kind of move forward in this transition phase? I personally tell them, you, you certainly are the expert, I always tell them acknowledge it, like it is, this is what it is, and, and the kids have lost or things have been different, and that's okay to acknowledge it. And then we also talk a lot about reframing, so there's been disappointment and loss, but there's also you know, unprecedented times and, and this is different and you're gonna be able to tell your kids and grandkids that you're, you lived through this pandemic and your graduation may have been canceled and that was a loss, but you lived through this really extraordinary time and you are a survivor, you, you know, you were able to do it. And so I talk a lot about reframing. I certainly defer to our psychologist expert because um, maybe I'm not telling them the right thing, but that's how we uh, typically talk about it. Yeah, I would, I would just add and say, you know, giving kids the time and space to talk about, you know, what has happened over the past year. And um, kids are, kids love storytelling. <laughs> They're great storytellers. And um, just allowing kids to, to tell their own stories about um, what's happened and what it means to them, which is another form of acknowledgement. Yeah, I think the the challenges so to what Dr. Mitchell was talking about, one is change always happens. It's just gradual or incremental. And this was a large change very quickly. Mm -hmm. And kids always ask, what happens next? And they like to know what's coming. And none of us knew. And that can be very unsettling. Both the the changes are still they've they've been around, but things are still changing. And there's still a fair amount of uncertainty, but no matter what, acknowledging that, sharing that with kids and, and talking through it, hearing their stories, will help them cope. Um, we were talking recently about how, so are there good things to come out of COVID? There, inevitably there are, because it's human nature to figure out new ways to innovate. And one thing I think our kids and we have had to learn is teaching that resilience in real time. So, you know, learning hand hygiene, asking about, am I safe, am I not safe from a masking point of view? Those are important life skills that are sometimes hard to teach. Talking through things and, and being able to share, sometimes it's very hard to pull that out of kids and you don't try to until something happens. And so, anticipating these things and, and having that dialogue, hopefully in the long term, will make our kids healthier and more resilient. So as far as 
the kids asking what's next. Um, I personally at home have been getting questions about, okay, people are not wearing masks as much. They're observing it. They're, you know, feeling funny about it because we're all still wearing masks. Um, and knowing that there are some changes coming on June 2nd, I believe, is that correct? Um, from the CDC, how should we be thinking about this? How should parents be thinking about this? Because what I've read, it, it doesn't seem like kids were necessarily, we, we weren't provided a lot of very distinct guidance for kids. Yeah, so I think um, when CDC develops guidance, they're developing it for the entire population. And so they're gonna focus on the largest segment of the population and the, and the segment of the population that their guidance influences. It influences everybody, but they're going for the 80 as opposed to the 20. Um, and so they're going for nursing homes and for middle-aged adults and elderly adults, and understandably so. Um, I think that how do we translate that for kids I think is very similar of how I would translate it for myself when I read this guidance. So there's a balance between actual risk and risk tolerance. And we've talked about this a lot in the context of schools, and we've talked about this a lot in terms of activities that people are comfortable with. And so thinking about it in that way and having that conversation with your children, depending on their developmental level of how well they can conceptualize their risk tolerance, um, you know, I think you frame it from that point of view. So me, I'm fully vaccinated. I intend to wear my mask for the foreseeable future um, for a number of reasons. Um, and I think that everybody is gonna end up making a decision that's based on their comfort level um, and just going with it. I was going to say, I think it's really hard for parents right now because it's the, the guidance out there is coming from so many different places. And then exactly what you said, Dr. Shafson, then you've got to interpret it and how are you going to apply it to your own family? Um, so just speaking from my perspective as a mom, I have three children. Um, one who is eligible right now to be vaccinated and has been vaccinated and two who haven't. And so we've just said, you know, this is a family decision and we will continue wearing masks, just as Dr. Shafton said. Obviously, um, you know, being in healthcare, we've seen some of the, the worst effects of this and I don't wanna take any risks with, with my kids and my family. So, you know, we will continue doing those things as soon as vaccine is available for the kids who, uh, my children who are still too young, um, they will get it because we want to prevent this. We wanna protect our family. And so that is, you know, the, the slant that we have taken, but it is really hard hard for families to know what the right thing to do is when sometimes there's a lot of gray um, gray out there. So I always tell families, you know, the safest things are A, B, and C. It's wear your mask, get your vaccine, um, and then families have to make their kind of decision, you know, from that starting point. Yeah, and I just want to talk about the uh, what's next in terms of mental health as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kids can really play a great role in saying, hey, what's next? in terms of what are we gonna do this summer? You know, last summer we didn't have a lot of choice in that because, you know, we did have to, uh, you know, do a lot of quarantining and that kind of thing. But, you know, what can we do this summer that we weren't able to do last summer? Mm -hmm. um, you know, where might we want to, where, you know, what kind of camps can you do and still stay safe, that kind of thing. So those are still important conversations because kids did have so much uncertainty last year that they couldn't really define the what next, but now they can start to um, plan that out and have conversations about that in ways that they can feel more so in control. What about those kiddos who are 
still just, it, I, I'm thinking of a, a story that a friend shared with me last week that they, uh, their family went to a playground and one of her kids ran straight for the, you know, for the playground. And the other sat down and was like, I'm just not comfortable with it. Um, so I, I think that if we're looking toward, he just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. He didn't have the risk tolerance yet. And that's okay. Um, is that something that parents should just say, it's good, we'll get there? Or should they be working on helping kids kind of try those new things again, new as in haven't done them in the last year? I think it's hard to to say one way or the other, right? I mean, everybody's got a different parenting style and every kid is a little bit different. But I think the principles of acknowledging, validating how a child is feeling and having that conversation is very reasonable. So you're not comfortable. Tell me more about that, right? What what about it, right? And I and validate absolutely, I completely understand. And what you should think about is so what what would you need to feel more comfortable? because you need to focus on what you can control, what the child can control or the parent can control, rather than, well, I just want everybody else to do what I want them to do. That's not a realistic goal. Exactly, and it could be, just to um, elaborate on that, it could be that, hey, if you wipe it down with some sandy wipes, then he's good to go. It could right. be that if you put on hand sanitizer, it could be that there's too many kids on the playground, so helping the child move towards a level of comfort could be the next step. And I think it goes back, I, I, I am so impressed with how kids have handled this. I think they're often the ones that are saying, but mom, there's three kids that don't have masks. Like you've been telling me yes. that we need yeah, to wear masks. Right. So they're, they're able to see and regulate that. And I think actually sometimes their hesitation is for really good reasons that I have my own blinders on. So um, I, I think asking that the, the child, you know, what's going on here, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think it's okay to, to take baby steps towards this. I don't think we probably should all rush back in and, and meet up at the playground on the equipment all together without our masks on. And so, you know, baby steps uh, to get them, you know, back and more comfortable. I don't think they have to go from um, not seeing any people to suddenly, you know, back in their, their old context and close contact with people kind of overnight. Yeah, and we are finding increased rates of, you know, social phobia and school mm -hmm. phobia because of what's happened over the past year. But those are things that parents can easily help kids um, address just with those conversations, as, as Dr. Burkett mentioned, Burkhart mentioned. I think there's, there's one other thing that, so a lot of people have taken a lot of measures to prevent transmission and to prevent COVID. And from an expert's point of view, a lot of those interventions are fine, but may not be completely necessary. So one of the common questions that we got early on was, what enhanced cleaning protocols will we do at Children's to prevent COVID? COVID is an enveloped virus. It's about as wimpy as flu. I'm more worried about spores and fungi and other things like that. So my cleaning protocols will take care of it. I don't need to change anything. Some of these things that have been implemented may may not have made a huge difference. They may have given people comfort early on, but they may not have made a huge difference. And so now taking those away, like I, I get asked permission to take things away that I don't remember suggesting or approving. Playgrounds are a perfect example. Wiping them down perfectly fine, absolutely. But the best way to kill this virus is to let it dry out or to irradiate it with UV 
and we call that sunlight. And you know that's what happens naturally. But again, the risk tolerance is there. Any surface that you touch, no matter how contaminated, if you clean your hands before you touch your mucous membranes, no transmission happens. That's why hand hygiene is the single most effective means to prevent. So, you know, giving kids these tools and reassuring you're safe, here's how we manage this, can help them through. So I like that you brought up the hand hygiene and it has been an interesting flu year this year as well. And I'm curious to just understand a bit more about that mm -hmm. and what you think was kind of at play with that too. Yeah, so, so this past year we did not have a flu season. Um, every other year that I've been alive, somebody has asked me, what's flu going to be like? And I will say, I don't know, but I guarantee you there'll be a season. So this was definitely the weirdest year from a flu standpoint. Why, we're not quite sure. Could it be because people were isolating, quarantining, schools closed? Maybe, although schools in Southwest Ohio were open and active. Um, another could be something about viruses circulating and competing. I think all of that is conjecture. I think it's, it's really just guesses because viruses tend to not have meetings and decide who's gonna act when. Um, and so what we're left with is the preventive measures. And there's been literature showing that regular hand hygiene in schools, so scheduling it for school-aged kids, lowers absenteeism. And that's why we've promoted it for so long. So you have to wonder whether the masking and the hand hygiene had an impact. And the, the statistic that I like to quote is, so CDC has been tracking pediatric associated influenza deaths or pediatric influenza associated deaths since 2004. Every year about 150 to 200 children die because of flu. This past season, the number was one. That's a striking number. And if it's as simple as washing our hands, doing hand hygiene, and wearing a mask during that time, we could save 200 lives. It seems pretty straightforward to me. How has that impacted your practice, Dr. Burkhart, with your pediatrics practice? What, what are you seeing? Clearly not many patients with flu. Yes, yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Though we're still re recommending their flu vaccine yes. as well. Um, so yeah, this has been probably the strangest year in practice uh, for me as well. So we have had the lowest volumes of ill visits, um, certainly that I can ever remember, because um, we just didn't see quite as many you know, colds and bronchiolitis and um, the stuff that typically gets passed around at school and also in daycare. So the, the reduced numbers in daycares and daycares being partially closed, you know, kids pass a lot to each other. And so we also saw a lot less of that. Um, we certainly have seen a lot of mental health um, come in, you know, in place of that this year, um, which has, you know, is really difficult for families to manage. Um, and so, um, you know, looking forward, I think we are trying um, to do a lot of mental health prevention, uh, a lot of talk here about resiliency and, and trying to, you know, comment on that and, and point it out to families. Um, but those, I would say, are probably the two biggest changes that just we, we had a year with a lot of, um, not a lot of acute illness and um, a growing amount of mental health um, concerns. So I want to spend a minute just on the, the mental health concerns and understanding that that number has grown significantly. And there are probably many kids who haven't had mental health concerns previous to this who now do. 
um, what should families be looking for there? What, what kind of indications should they be aware of that might mean that their kiddo needs some, some help? So I'll say a couple of things. One is that the spike in mental health concerns, you know, has to be put into context. So, you know, with COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty. There were a lot of things that were um, a lot of stress that was put on both kids and families that otherwise wouldn't we wouldn't have had had it not been for COVID. Um, so it's it, it's normal to a certain extent. Um, and as we begin to you know return to the new normal, we'll probably see some of those concerns go away. But if the second thing I'll say is, if if some of those concerns are not going away, and if honestly if, if some of those concerns um, rose to a level that we um, should should be concerned about, that's when you really start to think about referrals for kids. And what that looks like is kids who aren't eating normally, kids who aren't sleeping normally, um, behavior that is out of the ordinary. That's when you shouldn't be saying, oh, well, I think it's going to go away. That's when you really should be talking to your pediatrician, um, talking to teachers, um, talking to a mental health specialist. So, you know, some of it's normal and then some of it's not normal. When it's not normal, that's when you really want to make a referral. That's really helpful. Thank you. It's, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like it's the difference between a situational anxiety, yeah. which is directly related to a threat or something, yeah. versus unmasking an underlying issue. And yeah. COVID could trigger either. Yeah. Yeah. I want to spend just a couple minutes on vaccines because I think that, um, there's still a lot that we don't understand about the virus that causes COVID. Am correct, Dr. Shapson? Yes. So, so it's a it's a very challenging um, situation because traditionally, so when we if we compare it to known pathogens, any pathogen that you cite has been known for generations and has been studied for years and years, and a typical good randomized control trial will take three to five years before results are ready to be disseminated. Um, and COVID hasn't been around that long. You can accelerate the process, um, absolutely. But in the end, it's not that your data isn't any good, it's that we're still figuring out what's going to happen. Um, now, all of that taken into context, when you talk about the vaccines, um, the, the approach to compensate or, or account for all of this with the vaccines is simply amazing and I think um, is really just, a, it, it warms my heart. It makes me feel very good about the public health infrastructure. Um, so what do I mean? When a typical vaccine or product is approved, it will go through post-marketing surveillance, which is it goes on the market and then if something bad happens, somebody has to report it. That's called passive surveillance. For, and it takes years to figure things out. For this vaccine, the focus has been active surveillance, has been going out and asking people, how are you? So anybody who's vaccinated is offered to sign up for vSafe, which is an app, and it prompts you. It says, how are you feeling today? It doesn't wait for you to report symptoms. Any symptoms that you report go into the database. The standard reporting databases like the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System or VAERS, are very active and the data is being reviewed constantly looking for signals. So looking for something that's happening out of the ordinary 
than we would expect in the population. And then programs, um, the acronym is CESA, I don't remember what the, what the words are, but they're in existence at a number of centers, including Cincinnati, where they look into issues that may be arising with vaccine. And CESA folks have been on call since vaccines were given the EUA, were, were disseminated to be able to investigate these questions. And I think the fact that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that four cases of a rare condition triggered a signal, a pause, a review, and a, and a very nicely reported rationale for resumption um, was really amazing. That's exactly how the system should work. So yes, there's uncertainty, but we have quite a bit of data that is analyzable and that I think it's the best that we can work on right now. And I think that with the EUA a couple of weeks ago for kids 12 to 15, this is kind of an exciting time for kids now too with the availability of vaccine. And I'm curious just what you've each heard from kids who've gotten it and um, you know what we're, what we're learning about how they feel about it overall. I certainly have seen both sides of it. I think um, what's really exciting to me is how excited some of those first kids were. Like they were clamoring to get their vaccine and it was almost a status symbol. Um, you know, my oldest, I've heard her talk um, also, you know, in school, my friend so-and-so, you know, they got their vaccine today and so they're talking about it. And that to me um, also like, it really excites me to see that. Um, in practice, I have also seen some families who aren't yet ready, um, and so they don't want to be first, which is okay. I think that's certainly understandable, and they're wrestling with those hard choices for their kid, um, you know, of, of when um, they're ready, when they're going to be ready to get the vaccine. And uh, so I, I feel like they're, they've got good questions, and they want those questions answered, which I, again, completely understand. Um, and so it actually has been a fun time as a pediatrician um, to be able to, to talk to families about it and answer their questions and concerns because that's what we want people to do. We don't want people to just you know, blindly accept something if, they're, if they have questions about them. And so as vaccine has now moved into primary care and specifically in pediatric primary care, um, this is exciting that there is that opportunity. And you know, I always just encourage families, what questions do you have? Let us you know, help address them. Um, and I think a lot of times families then are, are more willing to um, accept the vaccine, which is um, certainly exciting to me. I think it's it's really great because I think about the term informed consent. So we offer somebody a therapy. Yep. We want them to understand what they're agreeing to, be informed and to consent. And if they're not comfortable, if they're not informed enough, we're happy to answer questions. And we're happy to work through the fact that if they're not comfortable, they're not ready, they're not, that no, I'm not going to, then they don't consent and that's perfectly fine, right? In, in a context, we can work with them and try to figure out what we're gonna do. So that's, that's one thing that I really love about the conversation. The other is that vaccine hesitancy is something that a lot of us talk about and a lot of us um, worry about, but you know, historically it's, it's been thrown into political camps and it's been, you're bad because you don't get vaccinated. And that's not the purpose. Of, of having these conversations. So if this brings vaccine hesitancy to the forefront, that it's a normal reaction to a new therapy, which it is, and initiates these conversations, that's progress. 
So I, I really like what you're talking about. The one thing I've noticed is, um, in addition to everything else that's been said, is that if a parent has questions for themselves about the vaccine, then they may not take the next step to then be open to their, their child getting the vaccine. So I think the opportunity is, you know, to ensure that we're answering questions that parents may have so that both the parent and the child have the opportunity to be vaccinated. And in our practices here, we are offering the vaccine not only to our patients, but to the parents as well. That's not happening everywhere, I know. But that is one of the coolest things, is to be able to answer their questions about their kid, and then the parent says, okay, I'm ready too, and we're both going to do it today. We're going to do it together. Um, you know, as a medical professional, that's just really, really fun to see. Exactly. That's, that's an ideal situation. That's great. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you all. I'm curious if you each have one kind of final reflection on either where we are, where we've been, how, um, you know, how kids have been part of this pandemic, part of getting us out of it. Uh, just what, what's on your mind as we finish? I'd love to tell parents just to cut yourself some slack from this year. Not everything has gone well and um, it has been a challenge and to say, you know what, it's been hard to be a good parent through all this and make all the right choices. And so I think um, taking that pressure off ourselves and, and recognizing parents are doing the best job that they can. Um, you have made it through this year. You have gotten your kids through this year. Um, congratulations to you. And uh, I have a lot of respect for parents. It's been a hard year uh, and most have done a fantastic fantastic job. That's perfect. Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. You know, we are seeing a glimmer of hope and that's good, you know, not just in terms of uh, seeing COVID moving in the right direction, but also um, seeing positive trends with, with mental health potentially as, uh, as children and families are getting out. It's, you know, sp it's springtime. Um, and you do hear, you know, young people making plans, whether it's for um, what they're going to do this summer, what they plan to do next year, um, what they plan to do in the future. So that's, that's what we want is for people to now be thinking about the future and not be thinking about, um, you know, asking questions about when, when are we going to be, you know, why, why, why can't we do this or when are we going to be able to do this? So that's really good. Yeah. And I'll just echo, I think the term is new normal and that's, that's the theme. So the message is not that somebody was wrong and we should have never done ABCD. It's we now understand because for, for all the uncertainty, we have an enormous amount of experience and knowledge and all of us do. Everybody in the world has a ton of experience with coping with this. We know how to do things safely. We know how to do ceremonies safely. We know how to do school safely. We know the impact of not doing school. We know, we know all these things. We know that these vaccines are safe and amazingly effective. I'll say that as a, as a public health practitioner um, and, a, and a pediatrician, I'm I'm so pleased at the data that's come out. I'm relieved and pleased and have no qualms in recommending the vaccine. I understand choice and informed consent and not saying that it's wrong to say no, um, but, I, but I think that as a medical professional, I would recommend it without hesitation. But I think in the end, it's not we're backing off because, oh, we did something wrong we shouldn't have. 
it's more now we know how to do it safely and we know why we're doing and need these things let's move forward and do it fantastic way to end us thank you thank you all of you for participating today on season one episode one of the cincinnati children's young and healthy podcast thanks so much thank you kate thank you this episode was recorded on may 26th 2021. The content in the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music is composed by Stephen Greco. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts and Bryce Onslinger. Join us next week for a new episode of the Young and Healthy podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.